Ruin Christmas for you. For those who don't know what fasting is, it is as it sounds. You don't eat. Find that to be true. All right. So I know we usually think of Christmas as feasting, but we're going to just turn it outward again, and not for all of Christmas. You'll be glad to know. We were considering four weeks of fasting this morning, breaking it on Christmas Day, but no, that would be no fun at all. So we're going to do one day of fasting, and then we've got a month of feasting. So that's not all that bad. But the reason for doing it is not that we want to ruin Christmas for you. We actually want you to engage in Christmas in the Christ Mass. That's what we want you to do in a deeper way this year. And one of the ways that we do that is just spend just a small, small part of time of all the craziness. Anybody got the tree up yet? Alan Cummings, you have your tree up in November. Okay. And uh, some people have, have actually think they're cheating and they're putting bits and pieces up and just not the tree yet. Is there anybody doing that? Yes. One, two, yes, three. Okay. Yeah, you just can't help yourselves. And it's that time of the year again when you go into the roof space for another year, isn't it? Terrified of the mice. That's just me. So all that to say, we want you to engage deeper. And uh, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. And so, I don't know about you, but today as we talk about Outward Focus Christmas, I want us to engage with, uh, with, with the poverty and the pain and the suffering in the world. I know you come to church for a good time and you've, now you feel like it's a bad time. I don't know about you, but when we, when, we're, when we see the overwhelming problems in the world, we often get paralyzed with just the enormity of it. At least that's my case. And then when it usually happens in that, then we're paralyzed for a while when we see the pain. But then it often is just like, if you're like me at all, it usually then, it goes to the next stage of anger. Righteous anger, like this is not right. You might enforce it that way, but there's something within your soul that says, this isn't right, this shouldn't be. When you scroll, if you're using a smartphone at all, you'll have BBC News there, you go to World News, you scroll through the different events in the world, you come across poverty, disasters, um, slavery, uh, persecution throughout the world. And there's something within you that should be, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, even if you're not, you're made in the image of God. Eternity is written in your heart. So there's this, this holy frustration, should you have surrendered your life to Jesus yet or not, there's a holy frustration in your soul, in your very being that rises up. That's a righteous anger. It's called justice. And that goes on in your soul and goes on in your heart. Now what then usually happens to me is I let the anger out and then... I like to escape. I scroll on. Or I'll swipe sideways to sport. To escape. Because we don't want to be, uh, we don't want to be bound by the fear. We don't want to be paralyzed and crippled by it. So we, we, we get angry. And then we escape. And often we escape in all sorts of ways. Some of us eat more. Some of us drink more. Some of us do things that just cause us to be numb. We watch more Netflix and all those things. And to be honest, don't beat yourself up. It's not really, you're not a bad person if you do that. But there is a solution. There is a solution. And I'm here today to tell you, as lead pastor of Vineyard Church Dungannon, is that the solutions to the world and to our community are found right here in this community. Believe it or not. In this church family. When someone has much, gives to someone who is little, the world becomes a better place. That's all you need to know. 
You don't need to get paralyzed by the pain. You don't need to escape into numbness or anything else just to take you away from that moment in time. All you need to know is that when people have much, when they give to those who have little, the world, your community, your family, your workplace, your street becomes a better place. Do you agree with that? That's all you need to worry about. Sometimes we, I don't have the solutions for world hunger, believe it or not. But I have a small step solution for what I see in front of me, that when we have much, we give to those who have little, and it becomes a better place. So therefore, we do not need to escape. Does anybody want to see the OFC video, or do you want me to continue? Should we play it? Anybody not here last week? Player. Player. Right then, by where? Player. <laughs> Roll it. Here at your Church Dungannon, we're absolutely passionate about seeing a better Dungannon. And uh, as a local church, we believe that because of our presence in the town, that the community should be made brighter and should be made better. And that underpins everything that we do as a local church. And none less than Outward Focus Christmas, where we want to be a community that reaches out to those who are in need and those who are on the fringe of our society, who maybe are forgotten at Christmas time. So we want to bring not just hope, but we want to put it into action and join with you, the local community, in making Dungannon a better place and hopefully a brighter day for people that are in need. I first heard about Outward Focus Christmas a number of years ago when Michelle told me about it and I was amazed at the effort put into it, felt that it was a really worthwhile project and certainly to the greater good of Dungannon that it would benefit those in need um, and those maybe on the verge of poverty. So I was more than happy to be associated with Outward Focus Christmas. Well, I'm delighted that the mid District Council is involved with the Vineyard Church and their Outward Focus Christmas uh, appeal this year. Very worthy cause and uh, since Coming into office um, as chairperson of the council, um, I've learned um, of the good work that has been done by the uh, Vineyard Church. And uh, I think coming up to Christmas, particularly, it's a time for the community to contribute to those that are less uh, well off. And the church, the Vineyard Church, provides a great mechanism for doing so. So, a very worthy cause indeed. Um, here at STEP, Centre on Empowerment Programme, we work with the migrant families. Uh, that come from different parts of the world here, mostly to work in Northern Ireland. We are trying all year to help those families, also with the support from the Vineyard Church, but around the Christmas when it's the time when you want to give that just a little bit extra support when the children are out of school and maybe everything is more expensive in the shops and the families are really facing even harder challenge. We're in Ireland really, as I said, the people have that really, you know, will to give and to help and you know and they would do that all the time not just before christmas but i mean all the time with anything as i said lifts anything you can go to the shop you need anything you, you know just that really kindness really great kindness outward focus christmas so engagement with that um and that involves uh you know getting hampers together and delivering them to people who are maybe don't have anybody um, or on their own, whether that's through their age or other vulnerabilities, other issues, and it's about bringing, kind of bringing that message and, and, and showing that we want to look out for people as well. And it's been very successful, and we look forward to working again with uh, 
with other with other agencies with that, it's uh, it's it's proved fairly successful for us. Having having worked with the Vineyard Church, that uh, in times of uh, financial uncertainty, that this service is able to bring a kind of bit of happiness or a bit of light into somebody's life that uh, may not have it, um, is is uh, that work is imperative, and it's we're only too willing to engage. Where we can to try and resolve them. This shop, we we're definitely in the promotion of cross community. If nothing else, there's uh, there's no Irish races, religions, races, anything in here. It's just whatever we can do to cross divides and if working with a church and helping the needies. It's exactly what we're trying to do. We would like to get involved with Outward Focus Christmas because there's people out there who just need help. Most people when you're talking to them, they want to help, they don't know how to help and use, use the nearest hand, the nearest reach that we can get to to physically help people in our local community. So yeah, we'd like to just help, simple. Something in Rory's message there. There's no, I love this little, uh, what would you call it? Urban street talk, airs of graces, religious oasis. Um, but you're the help. You, you're the people out there doing it. It's, it's actually prophetic. It's what the society is crying for the church to do is be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ here in society. I don't believe that's, a, that's a, just a, yeah, roll off the tongue. I believe it's a prophetic word to us as a church that our society, our community wants us to be what the local church has caused us to be. So are you there? Are you in Isaiah 58? Let's read this beautiful passage. Can I have my glasses? Great. Or else we'll be here for a very long time. Thank you. Okay. Let's, let me read this. Shout it out. Shout out, sorry, shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people the rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me just for decisions. They seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say? And you've not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves? And you've not noticed. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. And in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today. And expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for a man or a woman to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed? For lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord. Isaiah the prophet here, he is, he is redefining fasting. There's this community of faith that they're known for their intense spirituality. A kind of, it's a kind of personal self-centered faith that neglected the kind of just community that God was after. That's what he's talking about. 
you see what I'm saying? They're, they're, they're intense. They're doing the spiritual things. They're engaging in spiritual practice, like giving up food, what we call fasting. They're engaged in prayer, which is a good thing. But they're doing it to try and get God's attention, to try and get God's decisions in their life. They've missed the point. They've missed the point. And here's the point. If you've created time and space to connect with Father God, then you should, res- you should expect God to respond to your prayer. That's all they're saying. He's not giving off because they've fasted and prayed. No, he's saying that, guys, when you do that, expect God to respond. Expect God to respond and be prepared to, to obey the things he says or the things that he's already said right throughout the ancient scriptures. Be ready to respond to God's heart. And so at the time Isaiah speaks to this world, to the people of God, the community of faith, they're spending their energies in prayer and fasting and seeking God, and they're demanding him. They're demanding God to, to speak to them. Do you remember the conversation we had a while back when I talked about listening to God in prayer? And I talked about that it's got to be more than directions. That if you just go to God and want to hear the voice of God so that God tells you to go here and go there for directional stuff so that you can sort your life out for all the big decision stuff, that is not listening to God. Listening to God is getting God's heart getting God's character. It's doing life with God. It's not just this relationship of master and slave. It's actually friendship. It's Father God. And he wants, to, he wants the community of faith to, to get his heart. And so their self-consuming spirituality was inconsistent with God's heart for justice. Get that. Their self-consuming spirituality, and that's what religion does, was inconsistent with God's heart for justice, righteousness, and peace within the community of faith. I'd like to say to the church this morning, be very careful going down the path of politics and lining it up with Christianity. You can see it throughout the world. The Christians latch on to politicians. But that's not justice. That's not the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is beyond politics and beyond religion. The heart of the Father is one that's consumed with injustice and righteousness and peace in a community of faith. And I would say to you, if you're watching world leaders and their heart is not for the poor and their heart is unjust, you watch it all the time. You watch the caravan coming into America and you see one of the leaders of the greatest nation in the world, his heart is cold towards injustice. That's not the heart of the Father. Let's not be spiritually neglectful. Let's not have a pretense that we're intensely spiritual and yet at the same time we lose this huge, huge component that this is our relationship with God is deeply connected to our relationship with each other. Do you hear me? You can't do Christianity any other way. You can't. Our connection with God is deeply connected to our relationship with each other. Can I say it one more time? There is a direct connection between our relationship to God and our relationship with each other. You know what spiritual practices do or should do? Shape our hearts. They just shape our hearts. That's all they do. We don't do spiritual practices so that we're, we're gaining God's favor, so that we're getting his attention. We do it so that our hearts are shaped And they become the same as Father God. Is that not a better way to do spiritual practices? If you're doing spiritual practices because it's a practice, no. You're doing it because you want God to reshape your heart. One that's compassionate, one that's merciful, one that's full of justice, and one of righteousness. Isaiah 
he then starts to redefine fasting. So he says, that fasting that you're doing is wrong. I can totally understand them. He talks about them quarreling and fighting after the fast. What do you think that is? It's not rocket science. Anybody get grumpy when you haven't eaten? One person. Can I see another hand in the room? Darwin? Yeah. Anybody else get grumpy when you haven't eaten for a while? They're just grumpy. They're just grumpy people. Some people talk about the, 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 uh, the great writers and the devotional writers. They talk about fasting is that we stop from f- feeding and we start on feasting on God. Well, I don't know about that. Sometimes it does happen. I feast on God. But a lot of times I just get rowdy and uh, I get grumpy. Hard to believe that this person up here would ever get grumpy. We were just talking last night. I have a different view. When we did Legacy, um, this is not to be self-righteous or anything, but I just, just to tell a very funny story. We did a four-week fast. In my mind, I keep saying to Michelle, I never felt as good. I was like the most spiritual person. And then Michelle reminded me that I was grumpy. <laughs> Hard to live with. <laughs> but I don't remember any of that stuff. And so they're just like, I understand that. I totally understand that. So Isaiah, the great prophet, he starts to redefine fasting. Are you ready for it? Let's get back into Isaiah 58. Get your phones out. Get off Facebook and all that there stuff. But please stay with me. Isaiah 58. We're going to go 6 to 9. And here he goes. He redefines fasting. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice. And untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. Here I am. So what is Isaiah saying? He's saying, according to to this fast, now the the redefining of this, according to Isaiah, listen, this, this is what fasting does. Fasting is undoing injustice, releasing the oppressed, feeding the hungry and proving or sorry, providing sanctuary for the homeless. Let me say that again. Redefine. Let's redefine fasting. What does fasting look like? According to prophet Isaiah, who was the prophet who foretold Jesus coming, the Messiah. He says that fasting is to undo injustice, to release the oppressed, to feed the hungry and provide sanctuary for the homeless. This guy, he's surrounded by well-meaning spiritual people who fasted. But what Isaiah does, he summons the audience together to see that a genuine response is to injustice in their land. A genuine response of fasting is a response to the injustice in the land. Not to be seen, not to be get, not even just to get God's attention, not to say, here we are, here we are, God, look at us, God, we're great. He's not saying that. He's saying, your response is for the injustice in the land. So good. The proper response to the kind of injustice was a kind of fast that not only got to know God, because that's what we do. We pray and fast. We get to know God, but also to respond in compassion to the poor. In efforts to establish justice in the land 
and for peace among the people of God. So what is it as a spiritual, all our spiritual practices should take us closer to God. We say here that a follower of Jesus, a disciple, an apprentice happens this way, that we spend time with God, we're to be with God, we're to become like God, and we're to do the things that God does. Well, that's what spiritual practices does, none less than fasting. And fasting gets us around the heart of God, that we are with God, then we become like him. When we become like him, we get his heart for justice. And then there is the doing the works of God. We start to do what he wants us to do. And that's the response. What's he saying? He says, when we engage in spiritual practices, practices, pay attention to the suffering around you. It's a different way to look at spiritual practices. Different way to look at prayer, to look at solitude, to look at hearing God's voice, to look at opening up the ancient scriptures. That when you engage in spiritual practices, especially fasting, Pay attention to those who are suffering around you. When you fast, we cry out on behalf of the poor. And we do something for them. We're moved to do something for them. When you experience physical hunger, guess what happens? You unite your body and your spirit to those who are experiencing injustice. Do you hear me? Is this okay? Is this like stepping on toes? I don't think so. Those waiting on God's kingdom, aren't they? Is that not what we're doing here in Dungannon? Is that not what the vineyard job is to do? To usher in the kingdom of heaven in Dungannon as it is in heaven? That's the role of the church, right? Throughout the world. So those waiting in God's kingdom, his reality, to be experienced on earth as it is in heaven here and now. That's what we're doing. We're we're, we're actually engaging with those who are experiencing injustice and poverty and hard times here, near and far. We're doing that for those who are waiting for God's kingdom to come. They're waiting for the answers. And guess what? We are the solution. You're the solution. Hence the prophet Rory O'Neill. As the people of God, we just don't sing songs about injustice. We work and we give to see justice accomplished. Be careful what you sing, Vineyard. God just might take you up on it. Some stuff, some, 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 some things I, I think about when I'm singing, you know, like... Uh, there's like some songs, wherever you go, I'll follow. Yeah, can you, can you imagine you fully engaged in that? What if you said Straban or Nuri? Would you go? Wherever you go, learn. No, Jesus. <laughs> Pick another name. Dungannon, yeah. <laughs> Don't just gather in Bible studies and talk about Jesus. Become the feet and hands of Jesus. We're not a club. We're not a society. We're not a learning community. We are, but we're more than that. We're a doing community. We're an engaging community. We're a freeing community. We're a liberation army. We, we can't just talk about God's grace and generosity. We can't do that. We can't just talk about grace and generosity. You cannot. Here's the thing. I'm getting slightly nervous about Vineyard Church in Ghana. I often talk about us being an outrageously generous church. I don't know if we are outrageously generous. I think we're, we're good. I think we're getting there. But we can't just talk about a life of grace and generosity. We've got to live a life of consistent, constant, sustainable, left foot, right foot, grace and generosity. Grace and generosity. Grace and generosity. 
So this is what we mean when we say fast and as standing in solidarity with the poor. There's a guy called Scott McKnight. Anybody ever read his stuff? Blue Parakeet. Um, Jesus is the kingdom. Let me give you a, let me give you a, an, expert, an excerpt from his book. We can explain this theoretically as follows. Food joins humans to other humans because we share meals together. Whenever we give up food intentionally, we, fr- we refrain from relationships. When a group protests by fasting, they both negate one relationship with the haves and they affirm another relationship with the have-nots. And since the structures of the power always have sufficient food, fasting is not only refusing relationship, but is also protesting the power structures that exist. Powerful, isn't it? In other words, fasting has an deep dimension to it. That's what he's saying. And let me break it down for Vineyard Church, Dungannon. Vineyard, when we fast, we choose to recognize that there are other types of people in our community. There are other types of people in our community who might not look like us, who might not have what we have. But when we fast, we leave our tables. We leave our tables for a moment to connect with them. Do you get that picture? It's beautiful. I wish I could communicate it in such a way that it just causes your heart and soul to gasp. When we leave our tables for a moment to connect with those who are not like us and haven't got just what we have as in resources, and that can be here, near, and far. And I don't think you need to go to India to discover that. I think you can stay right here in Dungannon to discover that, by the way. Let me make it easy for you. We leave our tables just for a moment to connect with them. That's what Scott McKnight's saying. And I think that's what the prophet Isaiah is also saying in chapter 58. Being united to our brothers and sisters who are experiencing injustice. Injustice in the world such as hunger, slavery, systematic poverty, abuse, racism. See it day in and day out. We're overloaded with information on just how bad the world is. But yet we have the solution. We don't need to get paralyzed with it. We don't need to escape. All we need to do is realize what we have, we give to those who have not. And then the world becomes a better place. We connect our lives to those suffered injustices when we fast. And so for Isaiah, fasting is connected to our identity and call. I want to take you on a little trip. It might sound like a detour, but I think we'll get there. The story of God is, is, is often connected, rightly so, to the story of the Exodus. Do you know the story of the Exodus? When those people were held in slavery and bondage, in a physical, real sense, not in a spiritual dimension, by the way. Don't we get weird sometimes at church? We try and spiritualize everything. But this is an actual reality. It does become our spiritual journey. But those people who were held in, uh, by a, a dictator, by, a, by, a, yeah, by a, a regime. And Pharaoh was known as the god of that time. That's why they made statues and images of Pharaoh. That's why, that's why brilliantly when Paul talks about Philippians, he talks about the image of God. And he's talking to an audience who knows what it's like. And he takes it right back to Genesis when this image of God. And then they go back into Exodus. Because all along the roadsides in, in Pharaoh world, you see statues of Pharaoh. He's the God. He's the regime. 
He's the slave master. And then the beautiful story of God is a dramatic story of God's supernatural intervention into humanity. He's always supernaturally intervening in our lives, right up to today. God comes and he intervenes into humanity and he takes them out of slavery. And then throughout the Old Testament, the people are on a journey to become what we know as the church of Jesus Christ today. When the kingdom of God has come through Jesus Christ and the church becomes a new Israel. But all along that journey, God tells them who they are, their identity and their purpose, their identity and their vocation. You must get this this morning with me. Nothing will make sense if we don't get this. Right throughout the ancient scriptures, throughout the ancient scriptures, this library of scriptures is riddled with identity and vocation, who we are and what we're called to be. Last week, I read about Leviticus. One part of that journey They were told to, when they cut their vineyards, not to go back a second time and clean up what they have, just to store it. Do you remember I talked about that last week? See, what happens in harvest time, they would go and they would do the first cut. And then what would usually happen, if you think your human wisdom would tell you that, oh, there's stuff left over, what do you do? Go back, pick up that which was dropped, because it seems a good stewardship. But God says, no, 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 no. Remember your slavery. Remember your escape. Remember my intervention in your life. Remember manna. Remember my provision. He's saying to the children, you leave that for the poor. You leave it so that they can come and take as much as they like. They knew who they were. God was teaching them, this is who you are. This is who you are. You see, this is nothing to do with right wing or liberal politics. This is not the social. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the kingdom of God in action. God was preparing a people from the start of creation, from Genesis right through to Revelation, who knew who they were and knew what they were called to and knew what to do. It's a whole different conversation. Never, ever, ever ever allow anybody to speak politics into your life when you're simply doing the gospel. When you're simply doing the gospel. It's completely different. Because kings will rise and kings will fall. Empires will rise and empires will fall. But the kingdom of God will stand forever. Because the government knows no end. And its increase is on the move. And from the days of John the Baptist to these days, the kingdom of heaven is advancing. So identity and calling right throughout the ancient scriptures. We are called to reflect God's heart for the world and in the world. God is not an escape God. He is not an escape for us. Oh, many times I want to escape. I want to run from the pain. I want to run from the problems. I want to run from my own stuff, my own stupidity at times. But he never seems to airlift me. He always seems to invade the situation. And he invades the world today with solutions through the church of Jesus Christ. We are his number one choice. There are many great organizations in the world, but the one thing that separates us from every other organization is this thing called authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. He's talking about the church of Jesus Christ. He's talking about you. You're the solution of society's problems, believe it or not. And number two, get this. So we're called to reflect God's heart in the world. And number two, what you see in the scriptures is God's concern for the poor. That's what you see. Everybody wants a king like Jesus. 
Every nation needs a king like Jesus. Every screwed up capitalist society needs a king like Jesus. Every regime that drives people into poverty and pain needs a king like Jesus. And our identity and our calling is to take care of the poor. This is our vocation. Guys, what we do in church is not a ministry. I think sometimes language is not helpful. You know, when we talk about, sometimes we, us pastors and leaders, we're the wackiest people on the planet. We talk about our ministry. I don't have a ministry. It's his ministry. There's not a preacher or a priest or a prophet or an evangelist or a teacher that has a ministry. We don't have a ministry. We have a calling and a vocation. That's what we have. We have an identity and a vocation in life. It's not some ministry we set up because we've read something in the Bible and we've come up with some clever thought and said, let's do reach. Let's feed the poor. Let's do outward focus Christmas so we all feel good about ourselves, you know, for that little bit of moment when we give that little bit of stuff that actually costs us nothing to give away. Some of us spend more on a bottle of aftershave and perfume than we do feeding the poor at Christmas time. And then it goes bad and it goes off and it sits in your cabinet for years and years and you can re-gift it. Guys, we don't have a ministry. We, this is who we are. Do you get it? When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, your heart is shaped by that of the Father. It's not what you do, it's who you are. It's what you're called to do. Says, well, does Dungannon have a ministry to the poor? Yeah, we do have a ministry if you want to call it. It's called service, but we don't do it to have a ministry. We do it because that's who we are. That's what we're called to do. There you go. <laughs> Matthew 25, 37. Let me take you to the New Testament text of scriptures and then we'll finish up soon. This book never gets boring. Do you know what I discovered this week? Like I've been reading Matthew 25. The first sermon that I ever preached was at the uh, Korean Christian Center. My text of scripture was Matthew 25. And I referenced Mother Teresa and got lambasted at the end of it. Why, I do not know. How naive was I? And uh, I thought I had a sermon that would last 60 minutes, but I was so energized, or let me say nervous, it lasted 10 minutes. And uh, oh, how things have changed, <laughs> is right. And how the Lord has been so gracious towards you people. <laughs> Hasn't he been kind to you? Yeah. And so I read Matthew 25, and I always assumed it to be outside of the church. But actually, I've discovered something this week. Could be wrong, but most theological scholars and writers agree that this is talking about the end times, right? That's, that's a given. That's not up for debate, you know, when he comes back, how he, how he looks at us. But this text of Scripture, and I see it with new eyes, it's actually referring to the body of Christ, those who are suffering in the world for their faith. Those who are imprisoned, those who have lacked because of the gospel, those who have sacrificed to give us what we have today. And so Matthew 25, 37 to 40, man, we, take, we need to take care of each other. When we do that, we demonstrate heaven here on earth to a world that's watching. 
Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and fight you in, or need clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? Then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for, the, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, I, I, you got that right away, right? I'm just like, oh yeah, <laughs> you did for me. James 1, 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You know what that pollution is, what he's talking about? That's becoming a capitalist. That's getting caught up in stuff. He's saying the true religion is not about your stuff. It's actually, it's, it's helping widows and orphans in their distress. First John 3.16. We're good at preaching John 3.16. But how often do we preach First John 3.16? This is how we know what love is. Oh, so you can measure it. There is an identity to being a follower of Jesus Christ. There is something that the world can see. We, we, can, we can know that you love. And doesn't the world love to talk about love? I mean, love, yeah, we, we, we talk about it all the time. Love is, it's all love. I love potato cheese and onion crisps. I love Michelle. I love the Swiss. I really love the Swiss at the minute. <laughs> but I really do love Michelle at the minute, too. <laughs> I, I'm being funny to say that we don't know what love is. This is love here. Society doesn't know what love is. The church knows what love is. Love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Ooh. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be on that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So what is he saying? So right from Genesis, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, right through those ancient texts, right up to the, the New Testament texts, as the people of God, as the church of Jesus Christ, we fast to stand in solidarity with the poor. We leave the grapes for those who don't have a field. We give to those who want to borrow from us. And we don't take, we don't take advantage. We take care of the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, and the imprisoned. We look after the orphans and the widows. We share our stuff with those who don't have enough. We do this because we know what love is. The church knows what love is. Why do we get confused? Why do we fear church? Oh, us of little faith. We fear a postmodern world with all its confusion around sexuality and love. Why do you fear? Have you still got the Holy Spirit? Have you still got the ancient scriptures? Is the love of God still shed abroad in your heart? You know how to talk to people. You know how to pastor. You know how to care. And you know how to pray. That's not fear. We know what love is. And we do this. We do this. Why? Because God has done it for us. 
God has done it for us. We do this because God has done it for us. We do this because this is who we are. And this is why we're here in this town. Don't you love it? We're not here to entertain. I don't know if we ever could do that. Maybe the odd Sunday. But this is not meant to be the spectacular. We are not the spectacular, but we sure as heck are the significant when we give ourselves to the Father and place our hands in his hands. Do you get that? Church was never meant to be spectacular. Church was always made to be significant in society and in the world. Ever, anybody ever heard of Richard Wilkinson and Kate Pickett? They had a brilliant uh, article in The Guardian recently. That they wrote a book called The uh, Spirit Level. It's all to do with equality in societies and, and how, that is, um, how it plays out. They did 30 years or more of research and they just demonstrate the impact of our self-interest consumerism in society. And they, they said this, that research shows that the, the greater the income gap between the wealthy and the poor, and we're seeing that, right? You don't need to go to India anymore to see that. There is a, there's a huge gap now that's, that's happening in the uh, UK and Ireland. The gap between the wealthy and the poor, or the greater and the inequality. The greater the problems are in society and the country, right? The greater, the greater the gap, this is not rocket science, the greater... The problems are in society and the country. The effects that inequality has in societies is eroding trust, people's identity, uh, increasing anxiety, heck, yeah, illness, uh, excessive consumption. The greater the inequality in society, the greater the number of problems people face, the greater physical health problems, the greater mental health problems, the greater drug abuse, the greater education issues, the greater um, prison rates, the greater obesity, the greater violence, the greater teenage pregnancy, the greater anxiety in our society. And see, if you come with a humanistic consumerism mentality, when you look at somebody who has an addiction problem and then you say to yourself, well, I'm not going to give to that person anymore, there needs to be a check and balance, of course, in our lives and wisdom, godly wisdom, right, not human wisdom. There needs to be a check and balance. But sometimes we judge the, simp we judge the, the, not the symptom, but what am I looking for? The what? Yeah, when we, when, we, when we start to judge the effects sorry, of that instead of looking at the symptoms, the symptoms is poverty. So that's what we need to address. Of course we need to address the symptoms. But if we're just looking at the, the effect and not the symptom, then we start to get judgmental, don't we? At least I do. Anybody else judgmental? Just me? It makes it hard. We look at people like, I, you know, we bring food to people and we look at their lifestyle and we look at, the, we look at them as people and think, oh, they don't need food. Who are you kidding? It's just the outcome of their symptoms. Looks like they don't need. So we need to be careful. We don't want to be a, a church of judges. I, I don't want to pretend, like, like I said from the start, that I know how to fix world problems or society. I don't, don't know how to do that. But, what I, but what, what I will say is this, and I want you to get this, that what we see over and over again in scriptures is a kind of community that is generous and shares and looks after those without enough. That's all I know. 
that's all I know. I, I've been raised with ancient scripture. And you know what? I've had a great legacy. As a, my mom and dad give us a great legacy. Two things you didn't do in our house. You didn't line yourself up with politics. And you didn't line yourself up with religion. You weren't allowed to do it. And that was kind of hard as a teenage boy growing up in a loyalist house in the state in Derry. There's an oxymoron. <laughs> the penny dropped, eh? Have yourself a very dirty Christmas. <laughs> Just trying to help you get the picture of all the nonsense. But I, I was reared in Scripture. I, I don't know much about politics. I don't know much about world religions. I do know a lot about this book. And as I read it, there is no escaping. There is no, no doing spiritual t- gymnastics to get away that our job, that this community of faith has to be, because of our identity, because of our vocation, we have to be, we need to be, we must be generous and share with those who don't have enough. Let me finish with the New Testament church. Beautiful picture of the New Testament church in Acts chapter 4, 32 to 34. You never get tired of reading this. All the believers were of one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful, so powerfully at work in them, that there were no needy persons among them. Interesting text. It doesn't say that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that they raised the dead. It doesn't say that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that people were being healed left, right, and center. That was happening. It doesn't say that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that the church began to grow in numbers. It says this, that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy persons among them. Grace and generosity are not words, but lifestyle. So God's work, God's grace is in us. And I think that's one of the greatest witnesses to the world. This is it. We take care of each other. We take care of each other. What does this have to do with fasting, standing, solidarity with the poor? Well, this kind of fasting trains our hearts and compassion. Compassion in Scripture is not empathy or sympathy. It's actually feeling deeply. The ancient Scripture, the words actually talks about your, your bowels moving. It's like move from the inside. Huh? Cups, plates, saucers, the works. Bad joke. Bowels. Cups, plates, saucers, the works. Okay, sorry. I hope that hasn't wrecked the whole talk. But when stuff lands in here, it just has to come out. Put on your holy faces again. Compassion is to feel deeply. Move from the inside. Compassion is to feel and act towards others the way God feels and acts towards you. Well, I want you to think about that. How do you want God to act towards you? 
And so many of the dis- disciplines, man, they can become self-focused spirituality, but that's not what we're about here at Vineyard. The goal of all disciplines are to move us to become simply this, more like Jesus. More like Jesus. So, I'm going to invite Michelle up, but when we choose to fast, and we are choosing to fast on December the 2nd, and, and let me just say, there's no guilt, there's no pressure, there's no to-do or should-do around that. If you want to fast, join us. But we discipline ourselves to respond to the injustice of the world. That's why we're doing it. We're doing it to respond to the need in our town, in our community, in our families. Even when we don't feel like it. Because there's some mornings I don't feel like it. Because this is who we are, Vineyard. This is why we are here in Dungannon. So we're going to do that. We're going to do that. If you're up for fasting, where we live, it's where we start with our friends and our families, the community we've made a covenant with, this church, and then we go from there, we take it into our community groups. Can I throw some stuff out? I'm just going to go all in this morning. When we, when we gather together in our community groups and when we have communion together, does everyone have their bills paid? Has anybody lost a job? Anybody need their mortgage covered? Anybody got the rent paid? It's okay to say that? I think it is. Just read about it in Acts. Sunday gatherings. When we pass the offering basket around, do you think should we pass it around a second time? Like second dip? I'm just throwing stuff out there. Regenerating refugees. When we fast, guys, you can't let India and the refugees be a thing that Nigel and Brian do. I'm not up for that kind of church or that kind of ministry. And when it comes to India, it's not me and Michelle or Stephen McCammon or whoever you associate with it. If you don't do it, we don't do it. You need to engage emotionally. You need to engage and you need to feel deeply. This is what we do as a church. This is who we are. So why don't you think about it? Why don't you think about it and get, well, I can't go to India. Of course, well, maybe, maybe you can. But maybe you can pray for the persecuted church there. Maybe you can send them a letter. Maybe you can, you know where you're on your phone all the time and you're like doing stuff? You could drop somebody in. I'll give you their phone number. You can drop them a text. You can drop them a message to encourage them and say, keep going. Do you know what the saddest thing is? They're consistently praying for the church here in Dungannon. Wow. OFC, supplying and sustaining, reach. That's what we do when we fast. We give. Let's give up some luxuries this Christmas and see and set a table for others. See people at a table this Christmas where they can eat and drink. Our giving is hospitality with justice, right? Our target again, because let's talk about the dirty word money that none of you ever think about. 26,000. Here's what that 26,000 does. Our giving does 365 things. Right? How's that for value? Your giving does 365 things. The 365 things that it does, it provides 
for Christmas, but more than that, resources reach all year round so that people can set a table on a daily and weekly basis, 365 days a year. And this year so far, and we've been trying to be super correct this year with our figures, so we're not, there's no sales pitch, we're not trying to sell a story, but we reckon that each household gets a week's groceries based on their family size. We reckon this year that 1,325 people fed, clothed, and necessities provided before by the end of 2018, and that's a conservative estimate. One, three, two, five. It's okay, eh? One, three, two, five. People fed, clothed, necessities provided by the end of the year. Emotional support, prayer, and a place to belong. I was waiting for you all the time. That's, I just kept talking. I was done like 20 minutes ago. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. I'm following along here. I know you weren't. <laughs> this okay. is Michelle, everybody. Do you want to give her a wee clap? No. Um, so I'm here just to give you the details because you know like how if any of you who know me, us, know that I'm the detail person. Jason, not so much. F fantastic on vision and all the stuff, but not so great in detail. Um, so what does it look like on the 2nd of December? Well, obviously, I, I, I just loved, I loved that this morning for myself personally of just feeling that um, I have such a heart for justice, but I've never before really thought of fasting as being an act of breaking injustice. So I'm really excited actually to fast on the 2nd of December now. I wasn't so much before, but I'm really excited now to do that. So basically, as Jason says, if you want to fast, you can fast on that day. And what we're going to do, the prayer room is going to be open from 8 a.m. in the morning right through, um, or right through the day. So if that's helpful for you to come and pray there rather than uh, sitting at home thinking about your roast beef, please feel free to come and do that. The prayer room will be open. At 7 o'clock in the evening on the 2nd of December, next Sunday evening, we're going to meet here for food together. We're going to break our fast together um, at 7 o'clock, eat together. And if you are planning to come along and would like to bring some food to share, there's a sign-up sheet at the back, and you can just sign up there for what you want to bring along. Um, also, please feel free to come to that, even if you haven't fasted, okay? We're not going to be checking you at the door and asking you if you've fasted or not before you come in. You're very welcome to come and enjoy the meal together and the worship afterwards and the prayer ministry time after uh, as we break our fast. And as we really lean into praying, I think about some of these things that we've talked about this morning. So please don't feel if you didn't fast, you can't come. Of course you can. There's lots of reasons why people can't fast. And we're not going to be interrogating you on any of that next Sunday evening. Um, but this is, um, this is a day for us to really cry out in prayer on behalf of those here, near and far. We, we long to see injustice broken here in Dungannon as much as we do in, for the refugees in Cali or for the people of India where the Lord has really put people in our heart or all around the world. Um, it's a time for us to see, we want to see God's kingdom come here in Dungannon and Tyrone. Don't you? I, I, I long to see God break into the state of our mental health services here in Dungannon. But more than that, that's a that's a symptom, but the cause, I, I, I long to see God heal people of their mental health issues here in Dungannon. I long to see God break into people's poverty, lack, this gap between rich and poor. I long to see God fill that so that we can live in a place where, where more people have instead of people not having enough. So that's why we're doing this. We're, we're calling this fast because we long to see God's will here in Dungannon as it is in heaven. 
So I just want to close with Isaiah 58 again, but this time from the message. Will you stand with me to read this? So next Sunday, day of fast. If you can fast, fast. If not, pray. You can pray even if you can't fast. And come along in the evening for the meal. Sign up at the back. Um, and I'm just going to read this as we finish. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins, if you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins. Rebuild and renovate. Make the community livable again. Let's pray.